secret to healthcare disruption? It's you. It's you. Are you ready to join hosts Jerry Durham and Andrew Rothschild in breaking down the healthcare status quo and creating a customer-focused experience? It starts with you. Time to break it. Let's go. And welcome back to Healthcare Disruption Podcast. I'm Jerry Durham, and again... My trusty sidekick, Andrew Rothschild, has made an appearance on the show, so happy to have him back. How are you doing today, Andrew? I'm good. It's good to be back. Good. Awesome. Um, lots of great things going on these days, lots of great discussions we've had um, on the podcast, off of the podcast. Uh, PPS 2016 has come and gone. And uh, these are good times. I'm always excited to be a physical therapist. I actually spoke to a group of students recently and I told them and um, I still think it's true. I'm trying to prove myself wrong, but I told them if I could trade coming out 24 years ago or coming out today as a physical therapist that I'd trade it for today. And so when I say I'm excited to be a physical therapist, that's how excited I am. I would start it all over again because I believe the opportunities to do things like uh, we talked about uh before the low back pain is the point of entry, really being able to practice at the top of our license, having the opportunity to prove ourselves. You know, in the past, we've sat around and waited for people to boost us up and say, okay, it's your time. Now, now we have the data, as I've talked about extensively through Fritz and Child and Flynn and Waynard and all those people saying, nope, no, physical therapy is the right entry point. So so we've had the opportunity to say, no, let us fucking do it. No, I'm not waiting for you to tell me we can do it. Um, it's our turn to do it. So it's an exciting time to be a physical therapist. And, um, you know, I just, I'm always going to, I'm always going to run with that. What do you think, Andrew? You excited? I'm very excited. You know, it's, it's ironic you hear that because you hear about a lot of people who've been out for a long time saying, how much better it was 20 years ago because this is the word you hate reimbursement yeah. was so much higher back then and you know there, there wasn't as many pops and there wasn't as many hospital systems and so private practices were you know they were able they were so much more maybe flourishing uh back then and so i don't know because that I, I, I wasn't around back then for in, in the profession but for me from looking at where things are going and how things are talking and how maybe the healthcare system is changing I think it's, I think with the right mindset, then that we have all, we have definitely the opportunities that are, that are going to be, that are going to be changing not only for our profession, but also changing population health. Yeah, that's, uh, that's great. And you know, the more, that first point you made, oh, you know, reimbursement was better that I call payment, um, all those things. And this is, uh, I haven't mentioned, but this is our first ever uh, healthcare disruption book club podcasts and Andrew and I will be sharing our favorite books. And it was funny, even without that, as soon as you said that, I um, started thinking about Seth Godin yet again, and his book, Purple Cow. And I don't know if you've read that, Andrew, but it's a book about branding and differentiating yourself. And what I think we've done, and I'm, I'm happy to discuss this with anybody, we, we became lazy. We became lazy. Dr. Referral, treat the patient, get paid, they get better, maybe they do, maybe they don't, repeat. And we got lazy. 
And we've talked in the past about the fresh PTs, the new PTs wanting to come out and make a difference. And they've had a beat in their head that that world that I just um, described, doctor referral, treat patient, maybe get them better, maybe don't, do your documentation, go home. That world is ceasing to exist. And so when I think about Seth Godin and Purple Cow is, is we got lazy and we stopped differentiating ourselves and we didn't worry about differentiating ourselves. And um, yeah, to your point, and those days are over. And we're going to have those people on the tails that are, don't want to step up and do these things. And I get it. And I, I'm, I, I'm actually okay with that as long as they don't get in the way of everybody talking about moving forward and what we need to do going forward, like the uh, point of entry for low back pain and things like that. And you don't have to want direct access in your clinic, but you can't fight it for other people and you can't talk to other people and tell the public why we shouldn't have direct access. If that's your thought, then you might need to go get a job at the local coffee shop, but not the one I use because I don't want to run into you. So, um, yeah, these are great times and we have the opportunity as Seth would say to, to become the purple cow in healthcare to become the standout for musculoskeletal problems, to become the standout for low back pain, to become the go-to person for all those things. And we have that opportunity. Do we want to do the work now to do it? So um, I think that's a great lead into our, to our book club. And today we're doing our first ever book club podcast. Um, Andrew and I both love to read. I think you've seen us share our books on Twitter and maybe on Facebook a little bit. You've heard us quote Seth Godin and Simon Sinek and all these great people at times. We've had a couple authors on to this date, and I have some more that I would like to get on. I love to read. Um, I love to learn something new when I read. So I um, thought this would be a great time. And so Andrew and I had both picked out three of our favorite books, which means we probably are going to go over more than three that we believe really will get the mindset of healthcare disruption. And again, think evolution, revolution, disruption, call it what you want, but really <clears throat> Where, where do you get in the right mindset to to evolve or to cause a revolution or to lead some disruption? So without further ado, I'm going to let, uh, I think, Andrew, I think we'll, you go through your whole list. I'll interrupt you, obviously, while you're going through your list, and then um, I'll go through my list. Sounds good. And if anybody doubts uh, Jerry's love for reading, uh, go back to a picture I posted on Twitter several months back of his, of his insanely tall bookshelf. Uh, it's also on our Facebook banner, and I can retweet that out uh, later so you can uh, have that as a reference. I, on the other hand, uh, I keep all my books on this handy thing called a Kindle which keeps them all in one little handy place. Now, for now what is that, Andrew? <laughs> what is that? Is that a newfangled thing? It's a new thing. thing. It's actually digital. It keeps all your books in uh, one little thing. You don't have to carry the actual book. So, with you. You so take do, you print, do you print the book out? You print the pages out then? From the no, you can, you, can highlight, you can highlight it right in there. Then it saves your highlights, and you can put your highlights into, a, into an app like uh, Evernote, so you always have it with you. Wow, that's weird. Maybe I'll look into one of those. <laughs> maybe, I'll, maybe I'll wait till you know they're around a little longer to see if they're going to stick. 
I think I think it might catch on a little bit. Okay, cool. <laughs> so the uh, one of the one of the books I have, and it's gotten almost cliche at this point to discuss this book, but it's still worth discussing because it's just so important. And there's still plenty of people out there who probably haven't read it, and that's Start with Why by Simon Sinek. And I actually just reread this again uh, just in the past week, and reading it again was almost like reading it for the first time because there's so much good stuff in there. You you don't realize how much you missed the first time and that you pick up again uh, the second time through it. And in essence, it's it's getting to the why, and not only with a business, but also we can use this in terms of going and looking at our, our patients, at our customers, what is their why. And you know, basically Simon Sinek's overarching point is that people don't buy what you do, they buy why you do it. And he uses Apple and uh, organizations like Southwest as an example in that, showing that people make decisions not based on logic as we would assume that they would, but based on emotions. And um, so how can we reach patients is by tapping into their emotional core as well, either when we're trying to attract them as future patients through our social media marketing or you know, with YouTube and different types of uh, avenues in that sense, or when we have the patient right in front of them, sort of as um, what we talked about before, patients will say, oh, I have low back pain. Well, low back pain may be the main thing they're there to see you for, or it may really be what does that back pain mean to them? Why did they finally choose to come see you? What does that mean? They can't do the activities they want to do. They can't pick up their grandkids, whatever that may be. So getting to the patient's why as well. And then the other part I thought was really important is it's not discounting the hows and the whats, but because the customer's only contact with you individually or as your brand is really with the what and the how you do things and the what and the how have to be uh, reflect upon your why because otherwise the patients the customers won't really truly buy Sorry. into it the you can say the why it's kind of like having a mission statement and everybody can have a mission statement but if their actions don't reflect that people will see right through that and so that's, I think that was a really big important point that I got from it and how that relates to the customer experience is that if you're going to claim that you, that you put an emphasis on, you know, value, quality, a good customer experience, then you have to follow through and do that and take the necessary steps so that the people coming into, coming into contact with your brand, whether it be on the website or on social media or physically is reflected in that on a regular basis. And that was the main points I took away from that in terms of how it, um, that we can utilize that in, in healthcare. Do you have any thoughts on that, Jerry? Oh, no, you keep, you, you no, we're, we're just going to, uh, I want you to go through your books and share okay. why, and then I'll go through mine. I, I think this is, this is perfect, Andrew. No, awesome. I, I love all that share. That, that was awesome. So, so another one I read, uh, and it sounds similar to Purple Cow uh, by Seth Godin, but this one is called What's Your Purple Goldfish? And this is by Stan Phelps. And I really liked this book because it was really about, you know, again, it's different things that you can do as a, from a customer, uh, from a brand to stand out uh, with the customers and how you can improve the customer experience. And his whole thing was that he uses a term uh, that's sort of a New Orleans, I think, Cajun type term called lanyap. Uh, and it basically means a little something extra. And he said, his argument is, um, 
that is not enough anymore to just meet customer expectations. We have to consistently exceed expectations and also exceed them in different ways, ways that are, so it doesn't become almost the normal or becomes expected anymore. It has to be sort of surprising, unique, limited. He has a couple of different rules for it, rules the acronym uh, that he uses. And it was different. I, I, the big thing I took away from that was it was different than what Matt Watkinson said in our interview. And then Matt talked about how you, you shouldn't try to constantly exceed expectations because, A, it's very difficult to do. And B, once you constantly exceed them, then it becomes what is expected. You have to kind of keep raising the bar. And so that was uh, an interesting take. And the way Stan talks about it in Purple Goldfish is that it's, it's, it's done on different levels. So it could be just as simple as, you know, when the patient comes into your waiting room, there's a little jar of chocolate, for example, and then you change it up for Halloween and then you change it up for this. It's a little something, it's just a little something extra that they look forward to. Um, I gave the example of there's a pizza place in town and they give a heart balloon to kids. So when we talk about having pizza, where does my daughter want to go? She wants to go to the place with a heart balloon. You know, so it's a good that I have good pizza too. Um, but that's just a little something extra that tap, that, that uh, you know taps into that emotional piece of it. Yep. And he gives a lot of different good examples. And he, he, he talks about different brands similar to Southwest, similar to um, like when the airline industry was having so much trouble after 9-11 and people, they were cutting the meals and cutting this. What did Southwest do? They didn't cut that. They kept that as part of, of what because that was defined what they did. And that was in that little something extra, which is them now appeared like something extra because everyone else was kind of getting rid of it. Absolutely. So it's these little things that you can do to kind of constantly improve that customer experience. Um, and that was really that was the big takeaways I got uh, from Purple Goldfish. Hey, real quick, Andrew. Yeah. Remember, as you like to say, and both of us, the bar is set so low that those little things yes. like what Southwest did is insane in healthcare. So just uh, sorry, I didn't want. No, no, I'm, I'm glad you brought that up because I actually had that as a thought and then I kind of went on a different tangent in that the, advantage, the almost advantage we do have in healthcare is that the bar for customer experience is so low. So us to raise expectations is actually not that wide right we want to do a little bit extra a little bit here and there and that's going to be such a huge improvement because it's not what people are used to so i think we have we have an advantage uh, when it comes to that we're already doing that away with physical therapy because just from the time factor right we're already spending more time with our patients than most other healthcare providers but i think we can always be asking ourselves what else can we do what more can we do and another one was a very quick and easy book. And I actually had my entire team read this book. I and mean, we had an in-service where we talked about it. It's a book called The $6,000 Egg. That's by Todd Duncan. Um, and really, it's just a collection of stories. It has pictures. It's sort of a little coffee table book. There's a lot of different stories about his experiences. And he does a lot of this of lecturing and talks about customer service. And he had a couple of good examples of, of you know, groups that went above and beyond and ones that didn't. And then sort of the take-home message and how you can apply that. And the story that the title of the book comes from is basically... Uh, he and his wife would eat regularly at this restaurant and you know at least once a month and on this one occasion they asked for a egg to go on top of a hamburger and the restaurant that the restaurant that day was doing a special 
and they didn't really want to spare an egg. And we're talking about, you know, how much does an egg cost versus, and then, you know, we talked to the manager and all this kind of stuff. And they, they know that they're good customers, but they were not willing to essentially bend on, on, on this uh, topic. And so they made the decision that we're not going back to this restaurant anymore. And $6,000 egg comes from is basically they would spend $6,000 per year at this restaurant. And now that company was no longer going to get that. And they went to, for example, they went across the street to Whole Foods and asked them, hey, if I got, you know, what would it cost? Well, how difficult would it be to get an egg on it if I ordered a hamburger here? Because like, well, we could just go get one from a carton of eggs in the, in the restaurant or in the store. Because it's you know doing the little extra thing, which is really not that big a deal to to make the customer happy. And I think, and, I, and I've been guilty of this myself, is that sometimes when we have a, any kind of issue with a patient, we sometimes will get defensive and kind of kind of try to make our stand in a certain way. And that only ends up not only upsetting the patient, but ends up hurting you and ends up hurting your business. Because how much is it to to bend a little bit to try to meet the customer? At least part way, if it's not a really unreasonable request, right? I mean, it's, it, it, the example could be like if you have a policy where if a patient is 15 minutes late that you can't fit them in. I'm sure you could find a way to make it work out that would not be actually detrimental to the quality of care you deliver, the quality of care you deliver to the next patient, or kind of getting in sort of getting it rough in your way to a certain degree. So that was a that was a big take home message, and just little even had more examples of little extra things Stop, that, Jada. You, that can be done that make a lasting impression. And it, one story it had also, uh, Jerry, that I know you'll appreciate is involved in an outburger. And the story was his wife had run in, gone into In and Out Burger, but it was so busy that she ended up just parking in like a no parking zone to run in to get. She was just you know late night, late night working, ran in to get an order of fries and came back and she was getting a ticket. And the manager of the rest of the uh, In and Out Burger came out and took her ticket and volunteered to pay for it. And it was maybe like a hundred, hundred fifty dollars. Nothing, nothing. He had to do. He knew. He knew her, and she was a regular, good customer. And as it turned out, this is before they got married. So when they got married, <laughs> guess who catered their wedding in an outburst? <laughs> so the manager may have dropped one hundred and fifty on the parking ticket, but he ended up making thousands of dollars in sales down the road. You know, maybe maybe a month, several months, or years later, from because of that partly based on that interaction. So it just goes to show you the little things that you don't think about now, whether positive or negative has such an effect uh, on, the, on the customer experience down the line. Hey, Andrea, real quick. There's another term we need to talk about one day that you just brought up, um, and we don't need to dig into it right now, but lifetime value. We don't look at people in healthcare as what is their lifetime value. And, um, Again, and I don't care what setting you work in, if someone tells someone else to come see you, then that's paying your paycheck. I don't care who your paycheck comes from. That lifetime value is ginormous. And those little things, like you just said, the um, the egg, the little thing from the purple goldfish, all those help to build lifetime value. Right. And I think definitely in healthcare, I think we look at sometimes as an episode to an episode this patient for this period of time, the next patient for that period of time, not looking at, we want this, these guys to be a patient for life, not that they will need us for life, but they, we want us to be the ones that they think of if they have another issue down the road, or if their family member or friend or whoever has an issue down the road, they're like, oh, I know who you need to go see, you know, because of not only the quality of care, but also the entire experience together. 
So every, every, every patient's an opportunity to access their entire network, right? So I think that, that was the big, big take home from that. Every interaction matters, especially now with social media, right? Because before the patient would tell five friends and their doctor, now they can tell 500 people with, like, with just a couple clicks of the keyboard. And the, the other book that I thought, again, is sort of uh, a classic one nowadays, I think. That, that was three. Cut off there? No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> remember, Last one. remember, we're each doing three. That's right. Really quickly, though, is going to be To Sell as Human by Daniel Pink. And the big takeaway is that you know, obviously sales gets a nasty word. I used to have sort of a negative connotation with sales because you think about sales as in trying to convince someone to buy something that they don't really need. And that's not really what it should be about. We know people need physical therapy. And for God's sake, if we're doing this as a profession, it's because A, we enjoy it, but also we believe in it, right? And so selling physical therapy should not be hard because if you believe in something, it should be an easy thing to do. And I think that's a good book. It has a lot of different strategies on different ways you can pitch people. Uh, has a thing called the rhyming pitch, has the Pixar pitch, has you know, the, the two-word pitch, and you know, different examples from real-life experiences and uh, real-life people and real-life events on how they go about doing different things and, and, and conveying that message in, in a variety of ways and trying to figure out what message works for which kind of person. So that's, that's another one I think is a very valuable and very good read as well. And don't forget, you're selling your plan of care. So you may say I'm not a business owner. Think about every patient you evaluated um, this week, last week, you had to sell a plan of care. And um, that's actually bigger than any other pitch you have to make, getting your patient to buy into your plan of care. So this book applies to all of that. All right, we good, Andrew. You got five more. What do you got? No, I'm good. I think that's good for now. All right. You don't have anything else on your list? No, no those are the big. Those are the big four I had from a uh, marketing standpoint. Okay, marketing and customer experience standpoint. Okay, so I made my list with the with the idea of what is going to what is going to have the biggest impact. Um, and yeah, there are other books that people could say. So the way I looked at my list is um, when I give you a book, it was probably the first one I read that headed me down the path to find the other books. And I can probably tell you more out of that first book than I can out of the books that followed. So they were really the ones that headed me down a path to start approaching whatever the topic was a little differently. So number one, and just like Andrew, I cannot leave this off any list. It's Start With Why by Simon Sinek. I met Simon Sinek about six, seven years ago, and I met him right after he wrote this book. So he didn't have the same exposure he has now. So um, I listened to a keynote he gave, and then I was fortunate enough to sit in a breakout session with about just 30 people and him. And so it had a huge influence on me at the time because it really did not only help me with my business, but it described physical therapy because all we wanted to talk about was the how and the what, but we never tell people why, 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 why. And Andrew's example was dead on, in my opinion, on um, the why of the patient sitting across from you. Um, so, okay, Mr. Smith, why are you here? Well, I have low back pain. No, that's not why you're here. Tell me what you can't do. Tell me what you want to get back to, right? Tell me why it's important to you. Now you're starting to make a connection. Now you're starting to make a connection in a way that I 
just mentioned selling the plan of care, that you can start to get buy-in, that you are the expert, that your evidence-based medicine approach is the best approach for him, regardless of if he wants ultrasound or whatever. So this is why I hate those arguments online too, is nobody ever wants to dig any deeper of how to get these people into the conversation. It just sell them facts, but you gotta get down to the why. And the other company I love that he uses in the book is Harley Davidson. And the Harley Davidson examples jump out more than anything else. When you think about a brand and people that are dedicated to a brand and his whole thing is if you sell the why, if you talk about the why, if you build it around the why, then you build a huge following of people. And that's what we need in physical therapy. We need people to believe in us, not just look at us as something other than the chiropractor or acupuncture for low back pain. So start with why. It'd be a great personal book, too. I mean, it's not just a business book. So really, that is the ultimate. And that is the true number one on the list that everybody should read. And by the way, I've gifted that book to more people than any other book I've ever gifted. So it applies to everything and everybody I've ever met. The second book on my list, which is one of my faves, and again, drove me down a path that I had no idea I was going to head down, and now is seems to be my singular path, is um, <clears throat> a book called Influence, The Psychology of Persuasion by Robert Cialdini. And um, excuse me, hold on one second. <clears throat> um, he is a PhD and did a lot of the early uh, psychology experiments on how people make decisions, why people make decisions the way they do. The book has been reprinted, um, so make sure you get the latest edition. But um, even now, the psychology books I read, sociology books, so many of them will reference Cialdini, so definitely he is an expert and a um, respected person in the field of psychology. So I would highly recommend you start with Influence, The Psychology of Persuasion by Robert Cialdini, because again, we make a lot of assumptions about how people make decisions. I got on a Facebook uh, conversation last night with some people and um, we want to convince ourselves of certain things in the way people, and we want to believe people who walk down the cereal aisle at the grocery store and can't make a logical decision on what cereal to buy and we know it's based on emotion. We want to believe that magically that person packs up their groceries and comes to physical therapy and all of a sudden becomes a logical buyer. Um, and it doesn't happen. And I'm not saying you take advantage of that. I'm saying you use that for good and not evil and to get the people to buy into what they need. So Influence Psychology of Persuasion is my second book. My third book is actually, you know, um, I put uh, To Sell as Human by Daniel Pink on many lists. But this third book is my second most gifted book of all the books I've gifted. And that is Barking Up a Dead Horse by Tom Batchelder. And that was the first sales book I ever read. And that was the one that got me into the mindset that we are selling, that we're always selling that we need to understand this very well and that selling is not a bad thing. And I read that about two years before uh, Daniel Pink's book. So To Sell as Human is an awesome book. Barking Up a Dead Horse is what got me into the right mindset. And I actually know the author very well, Tom Batchelder. I was in an entrepreneur's organization with him in San Francisco. And what I loved about Barking Up a Dead Horse is it is a sales book and the first two to three chapters are all on psychology and how the brain works and how people make choices. 
And now we're back to this theme that you're constantly hearing me talk about is the brain and how do we choose things and wants and needs. And so I thought, wow, a sales book that understands how the brain works and how people make choices and decisions. Isn't this the way it should always be so that again, you can use it for good and not evil. Um, it actually talks a lot about emailing and how to put letters together. But again, the content is about the wording and the emotional connection you make with people. So some of it might be a little bit out of your realm for what you're doing day to day. But if nothing else, the first three or four chapters are really worth the read. And again, barking up a dead horse by Thomas Batchelder. And of course, we're at number three, which means I have four books. And I saved, I don't want to say the best for last, but I saved a book. Um, I love to read nonfiction because I believe nothing in the world that occurs that you can't write a nonfiction book that's better than the crazier shit that we experience every day. And I give you this presidential um, <clears throat> campaign and election cycle as the example of you cannot create fiction that's greater than nonfiction. I think I might have said that backwards. So every once in a while, I like to take a break and pick up a fiction book. By the way, this is not a fiction book for that matter, but it is a book that seemed to be outside the realm of what I needed to read versus what I wanted to read. And it is a book called The Sorcerer's Apprentices, A Season in the Kitchen at El Bouye. And El Bouye, El Bouye, one or the other, it's um, a restaurant that has been voted the top restaurant in the world for five years running. And it actually just closed. And um, the book, I want you to think about something here. I didn't realize what I was picking up, but I was picking up the world's best business book because it is about systems and it is about systematizing your business and everything you do, including the customer experience, because he talks about that in the book, but he did not write this book as a business book, nor as a systems book. He wrote it as a look inside his restaurant to, to explain to you what occurs year in and year out. And he gave you a one year cycle. The restaurant would close for how many, six months at a time? So mind you, it's the best restaurant in the world and it's not even open year round. But El Bouye only has five to six regular employees. So think about that for a second, world's best restaurant. They then rotate through on a yearly basis, somewhere around 13 to 20 interns. And there's a process. So think about this, you run the best restaurant in the world and 20 of your 25 employees are temporary and you rotate them out every year. So how do you continue to be voted best restaurant in the world without the same employees? And it's counterintuitive than most everything you read. Create a culture, hire people long term, blah, blah, blah. But I would argue <clears throat> that this book, again, is about systematizing and how you can create the best business in the world without employees committed long-term, they just have to be committed while they're there. So again, Sorcerer's Apprentices, a season in the kitchen at El Bouye. It is a fantastic read. If you're a foodie, you'll love it for the food side. If you're a business person, you'll love it for what it proves as um, systematizing your business. So those are my four books. Hey, Andrew, why don't you uh, quickly just give the title of your four books again? 
Okay. So, so my books were Star with Lie, Simon Sinek, uh, What's Your Purple Goldfish by Stan Phelps, The $6,000 Egg by Todd Duncan, and uh, To Sell as Human by Daniel Pink. And I can put, I'll put, I'll list these all, Jerry, and put links on the yeah, we'll uh, Facebook page. Yeah. Oh, okay. We'll put them on the Facebook page and the show notes. And again, my four books are Start With Why by Simon Sinek, Influence the Psychology of Persuasion by Robert Cialdini, Barking Up a Dead Horse by Tom Batchelder, and then The Sorcerer's Apprentices, A Season in the Kitchen at El Boulier. Um, I forget who the author is. I pulled it up. Hold up. Did I delete that already? Huh. Is it Elisa Abend? There you go. Thank you for looking that up. Yeah. And it is incredible to see the um, access she got and um, just incredible book. So if you love systems and business and even food and all together, I, I probably read through that book faster than any book I've ever read because I just loved it. And I wanted to see how it was going to continue. And they only dig into a couple of the interns. Um, but man, yeah, it's, it's just incredible. So there you go. So there is the uh, first ever edition of Healthcare Disruption Book Club. And uh, I think we'll get on probably later and share some books as we read more um, because there's always more to share. And again, as I said, probably be more excited to bring on authors of books that we've read, that we value, and let them speak to you a little more about um, what they wrote about, because I think you guys can get a big takeaway on that. So thank you for listening, Andrew. Thank you for participating. Absolutely. And uh, we will see you all on the next episode of Healthcare Disruption. Thank you. Bye-bye. Listening to Healthcare Disruption, Disruption. powered by Abdog Media. Join in the conversation. Tweet at Abdog